Last week I introduced the idea that our Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters, that is our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Reformed tradition who baptize their infants, generally see the Old Covenant and the New Covenant as being the same in substance, though different in administration. I use the analogy of changing your shirt. You might look a little different when you change your shirt, but it's still you underneath whatever clothes you're wearing. And in a similar manner, our Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters, and in fact, even some of our Credo-Baptist brothers and sisters in the Reformed tradition, see the Old Covenant and the New Covenant as being the same underneath the admittedly different clothes that they're wearing, so to speak. The Westminster Confession of Faith is the Presbyterian equivalent of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith that we hold to. And it is used in their churches in the same way that the 1689 is used in ours. They don't view it as equal to Scripture or anything like that, but it's a a summary of their beliefs, which obviously obviously they believe are a faithful summary of the Bible. And the Westminster Confession of Faith states the following in chapter 7. And please bear with me here because I'm going to quote at length from the Westminster. So this is going to be a lengthy quote. The Westminster Confession of Faith states in chapter 7, The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Man, by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto life His Holy Spirit, to make them willing and able to believe. So far, so good. This covenant of grace, this covenant of grace is frequently set forth in Scripture by the name of a testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testator and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it therein bequeathed. So it's basically saying that testament and covenant are interchangeable terms. Again, so far so good. This covenant, or this testament, and they're speaking about the covenant of grace, this covenant was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, which is the Passover Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying the Christ to come, which were, for that time, sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit, to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation 
and is called the Old Testament. So there they make this statement. I'm going to keep reading from the Westminster, but just note there that they're saying that the administration of the covenant of grace at that time is called the Old Testament or is called the Old Covenant. So right there they're saying that the Old Covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. I'm going to keep reading. Under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which, though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament, or the New Covenant. Here's the key. There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace, differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. End quote. So did you catch that? They are assuming that the Old Covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace, just as the New Covenant is also an administration of the covenant of grace. In their thinking, these covenants, the Old and the New, do not differ in substance, though they are admittedly administered differently. So obviously the Old Covenant looks different than the New Covenant. That's an obvious fact that we all agree about. It's easy to see that the Old Covenant looks different than the New Covenant. But they're saying that the heart of the Old Covenant is the same as the heart of the New Covenant. And the heart of each, or the substance of each, in their view, is Christ. Listen to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's report on republication. And republication, you remember we talked about last week. If anyone listening didn't hear that sermon, go back to last week and listen, and that will help you understand. But the old, pardon me, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's report on republication, among many other things, says this. The confessional standards, that that is for them the Westminster standards, the confessional standards assume that the covenant of grace is one and the same substance, no matter where it is found in redemptive history. What is that substance? According to our doctrinal standards, the substance of the covenant of grace is Christ. In short, there are not two ways of salvation. Well, we agree, and I'm not quoting the OPC here, well, we at CRBC agree that the substance of the covenant of grace is Christ. Well, we agree that there is only one way of salvation in both the Old Covenant uh, and the New Covenant times. We do not agree that the substance of the Old Covenant is Christ. The Old Covenant is not just a different administration of the covenant of grace, which is really the same as the New Covenant, underneath the different clothes that it is wearing, so to speak. 
Rather, the Old Covenant is actually a different covenant altogether. It is not the covenant of grace. We've seen over the last few weeks already that the Old Covenant is a conditional covenant. The Old Covenant is a works-based covenant. The Old Covenant is a legal covenant. And in fact, and this brings us to our text tonight, Deuteronomy 4.13. The Ten Commandments are so central to the Old Covenant that they are actually called the Covenant. Listen again as I read Deuteronomy 4.13. It's Moses speaking, and he says, And the Lord declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments are so central to the Old Covenant that they are actually called the Covenant. This verse tells us that God wrote the covenant on two tablets of stone and gave His covenant to you to perform. That is, or namely, the Ten Commandments. It is so clear from the passages we've looked at over the last couple of weeks and from this passage tonight that God's law is at the heart of the Old Covenant. Well, the Old Covenant obviously does contain in the words of the Westminster Confession, promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, that is the Passover Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying the Christ to come. Well, the Old Covenant obviously does contain all those things. It is not accurate to say that everyone who was a member of the Old Covenant therefore knew Christ. Or had faith in Christ. Received the blessings of Christ. Were covenantally represented by Christ. Being legitimately in the Old Covenant. If you were legitimately, accurately, truly an Old Covenant member. That did not indicate one's relationship to Christ at all. You have no idea how someone is related to Christ simply because they're in the Old Covenant. You could be legitimately in the Old Covenant and be as unregenerate and lost as Pharaoh himself. Or you could be legitimately in the Old Covenant and share the faith of Abraham living with a new God-given heart and receive forgiveness of sins in and through the Christ who was to come. My point is that membership in the Old Covenant did not necessarily put you in any particular relationship to Christ. You could be in the Old Covenant and lost or in the Old Covenant and saved. In the Old Covenant and know Christ Jesus. Or in the Old Covenant and not know Christ Jesus. But membership in the Old Covenant did put you in a specific relationship to God's law. Always. 
Every member of the Old Covenant was in a specific and particular relationship to God's law. If you were a, if you were a member of the Old Covenant, you received the clear, written restatement of God's law from Sinai, which He had originally written upon the hearts of men. Unlike the other nations who simply had the distorted by the fall residue of God's law still on their hearts, kind of convoluted and distorted by the fall so that their consciences were unreliable, sometimes accusing them, sometimes excusing them. As Romans 2 says, they had vagueness about God's law and a distortion of God's law residually present in their hearts, but not super clear. You, on the other hand, if you were a member of the Old Covenant, you had God's law written, clear, on tablets of stone, restated, clarified. And you, if you were a member of the Old Covenant, were promised blessings for the keeping of God's law and threatened curses for the breaking of God's law. Unlike the other nations who had no such promises. God never went to the Philistines and said, look, if you obey my law, you can stay in your land for a long time. God never went to the Amalekites and said, look, if you obey my law, blessed will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the country and blessed will be the fruit of your womb. And God never went to any of the other nations and did that. God expected them, obviously, to obey his law. He didn't think that it was okay for the Philistines to commit adultery. He didn't think that it was okay for the Amalekites to murder. It's not as if he didn't care if the other nations committed idolatry and worshipped false gods. Wrong is wrong and right is right no matter what nation you're in. So in that sense, every nation was under God's law. But God specifically attached promises of temporal blessing and threatened curses for the breaking of God's law among the people of Israel. So being in the Old Covenant did not necessarily mean you were related to Christ in any specific way. But it did mean that you were related to the law of God in a very specific way. God's law is at the heart of the Old Covenant. Again, the Ten Commandments are so central to the Old Covenant that they are actually called the Covenant. And the Lord declared to you His Covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Deuteronomy 4.13 Now, if Christ were the substance of the Old Covenant, why would Peter say in Acts 15.10 that neither he and his contemporaries nor their fathers were able to bear the yoke of the Old Covenant? After all, that's what they were discussing in Acts 15. Some Gentiles had been converted to Christ. And the subject of the discussion was whether or not, quote, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. That was the nature of the discussion. Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? 
In this context, Peter says that it would be putting on the neck of the new Gentile believers a yoke that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. If Christ were the substance of the Old Covenant, then shouldn't the yoke of the Old Covenant have been easy to bear? Because the yoke of Jesus is easy and His burden is light. Matthew eleven thirty. His commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7 that the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. How could Paul say without blasphemy that the Ten Commandments were a ministry of death? if they came in the context of a covenant of which Christ is the substance. How could the Ten Commandments be said so unequivocally to bring death? How could Paul call them unequivocally the ministry of death if they were part of a covenant centered around the life-giving Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? No, Christ is not the substance of the Old Covenant. Does the Old Covenant contain, in the words of the Westminster Confession, promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all four signifying the Christ to come? Yes, absolutely. And is there one way and only one way of salvation? In both Old Testament times and new, which is by grace through faith in the Christ. Yes, absolutely. Does it therefore follow inescapably and necessarily that the Old Covenant is the same in substance as the New Covenant? No. That is a faulty conclusion. Does it follow inescapably, necessarily, that the Old Covenant is a ministry of life just because it contains promises and prophecies and so forth? Just because there is only one way of salvation? Does it therefore follow inescapably and necessarily that the Old Covenant had to be a ministry of life? No. It can point away from itself to something which can give you life. That is an option. And in fact, that is what the Bible teaches. The old covenant set us up to expect a new covenant. The old covenant revealed to us the necessity of a new covenant. In the old covenant, we're promised do this and live. And we realize we can't do this. And so we realize we need a new covenant. And the old covenant points us 
to a temple and to a lamb and to a priest outside of itself. Those priests couldn't do their work efficaciously. Those lambs couldn't take away sin. That temple was not and never was designed to be the ultimate meeting place between God and men. After all, those same sacrifices were offered year after year. That's what the author of Hebrews says. So doesn't that show that they never actually got rid of sin? If, if, if I had a solution to one of your problems and you, and you just had to keep doing it over and over and over again, is it really a solution? Let's say you were having a problem with your cell phone. I said, well, just reset it. And, and you said, okay, well, you reset it and it works. You say, oh, great. Ten minutes later, the same problem happens. I said, well, just reset it. <laughs> have I really solved your problem if you have to reset the phone 20 times a day? And then you're, uh, you, you come to me next week and you say, I'm still having the same problem. I say, I solved that last week. You say, well, you didn't really solve it because I have to do it over and over. Likewise, this temple, this tabernacle, these priests, these lambs never really solved the problem of sin. And even the very fact that they're offered over and over and over shows that they never really solved the problem of sin. And so the author of Hebrews says, we should have deduced, therefore, that we were looking for a better lamb. And a better priest. The old covenant, yes, contained promises and prophecies and types and shadows of the Christ who was to come. Yes, the old covenant talked about him and promised him and showed him forth. But it doesn't therefore follow that the old covenant itself was the means by which we get life doesn't therefore follow that it itself was a ministry of life. It was a legal covenant. Though the old covenant contains promises, prophecies, sacrifices, etc., all for signifying the Christ to come, it nevertheless itself only brought condemnation. The Old Covenant itself, though it contained promises, prophecies, etc., all for signifying the Christ to come, it nevertheless itself only brought condemnation. God put the Old Covenant Jews under a legal covenant, promising blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And since the Jews could not keep it properly, because of their inherited corruption from Adam. They broke the covenant and inherited only its curses. How could it have been otherwise? How could a fallen people ever do this and live? That's why Paul can call the old covenant a ministry of death. That's why Peter can say that it was a yoke that neither he and his contemporaries nor their fathers had been able to bear. The yoke of the Old Covenant was not a life-giving yoke given by a Savior who is gentle and humble in heart and accompanied by promised grace to help you bear it. No, the Old Covenant yoke was a do-this-and-live yoke, which could only lead 
to cursedness for a people that were unable to do this and live. That does not sound like the covenant of grace, does it? We must conclude not only from the explicit statements of Scripture, but also by theological inference that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are not actually the same in substance, but rather that they are different covenants altogether with different substances. And we've seen that the Ten Commandments are so central to the Old Covenant that they are actually called the covenant in our passage tonight, Deuteronomy 4.13. What is the substance of the new covenant then? Isaiah 42 and verse 6 teaches us that God's servant is so central to the new covenant that he is actually called the covenant. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. We know from passages like Isaiah 53 that the servant prophesied in Isaiah refers ultimately to Christ Jesus. If you've ever studied the book of Isaiah, you know that there are several servant songs, they're called, where God begins talking about his servant, his servant, this coming one, this Messiah. We know that that's Jesus. Isaiah 53 is taken, it's the most famous one, right? He was pierced for our transgressions, etc. It's taken and applied to Jesus in the new covenant. So we know the servant is Christ Jesus. Isaiah 42 itself is cited in Matthew 12, 15 through 21, as applying to Jesus. So what Isaiah is relaying to us in Isaiah 42 and verse 6 is that God is going to give Jesus as a covenant. Just as the Ten Commandments are called the Old Covenant, Because they are so central to the Old Covenant. So Jesus is called the New Covenant. Because He is so central to it. Whereas the members of the Old Covenant were not brought into any particular relationship to Christ simply by virtue of being members of the Old Covenant. The members of the New Covenant are brought into a particular relationship to Christ simply by virtue of being in it. They, the Jews of old, the old covenant members, were brought into a particular relationship to the law by virtue of being in the old covenant. We, new covenant members, are brought into a particular relationship with Christ by virtue of being in the new covenant. Whereas it is not accurate to say that everyone who was a member of the Old Covenant therefore knew Christ, had faith in Christ, received the blessings of Christ, and was covenantally represented by Christ. It is accurate 
to say that everyone who is a member of the new covenant therefore knows Christ, has faith in Christ, receives the blessings of Christ, and is covenantally represented by Christ. If you are in the new covenant, you are Christ's, and Christ is yours. Just as there was no being in the old covenant without relating in a particular way to the law, so there is no being in the new covenant without being related in a particular way to Christ. According to Hebrews 8, 11 and 12, if you are in the new covenant, you know the Lord. And your iniquities and your sins are forgotten. God has been merciful to you with respect to your iniquities and sins. Not everyone in the old covenant could say that they truly knew the Lord in the way that Hebrews 8 means it. Nor could they all say that their iniquities and sins were forgotten. To be in the Old Covenant necessarily entailed a particular relationship to the law, that is the Ten Commandments, but it did not necessarily entail any particular relationship to Christ. But to be in the New necessarily means that you do know the Lord in the way that Hebrews 8 says. That God has been merciful to you. That God has forgotten your iniquities and your sins. Being in the new covenant does necessarily entail a particular relationship to Christ. Namely that you have come to faith in Him. That you're trusting in Him. That you're trying to walk in obedience to Him. The rule of life is the same, the Ten Commandments, as the old. But instead of do this and live, it's live and now, therefore, as a living being, do. I've brought you to life. I've given you a new heart. Now do. I'll help you by my spirit. Now do. The rule of life is the same, but our relationship to the commandments has changed drastically. The old and new covenants are therefore different. Not substantially the same, just with different clothes on, looking a little bit different superficially. The old and new covenants are different altogether. They're just different covenants. Under the old, you might learn about Christ in the promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come. But it was possible to learn about Christ through these things and yet to ignore and resist Him and to, make, and to remain outside the covenant of grace. But it is impossible to be in the new covenant and yet be outside the covenant of grace. For the new covenant and the covenant of grace are one and the same. Everyone who is in the new covenant knows the Lord savingly and their sins and their iniquities are forgotten. The law is at the heart of the old covenant, promising blessings for obedience and threatening curses for disobedience. 
Christ is at the heart of the new covenant, unconditionally blessing everyone who he brings into it by grace. The old covenant, therefore, is called a ministry of death and a yoke that we are not able to bear. The new covenant is, on the other hand, a ministry of life. And Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. The substance of these covenants are different. The substance of the old covenant is the law. The substance of the new covenant is Christ. The law is called that covenant. The servant of God in Isaiah is called this covenant. They are two different covenants. Let us seek to find hope and life then. Not in a legal covenant like the old, based on law keeping, but in a gracious covenant. The gracious covenant. The new covenant. The covenant of grace. That is, in Christ alone.